Today we're going to continue our study in the life of Joshua. We've been looking at great men of the Bible. We looked at the life of Abraham, the life of Moses. We're now in the fourth week looking at the life of Joshua. And today we come to what I believe is one of the most profound, most awesome accounts in the Bible. Now it's hard to say that. There's so much there. But I truly believe one of the most profound, one of the most awesome accounts in all the Bible. Truly one of my favorite accounts uh, that we find in the pages of Scripture and that is the Joshua and really what I would call the non-battle of Jericho. We sometimes refer to it as the battle. It's really not a battle. It's really not anything we would expect. And it's really not even about Joshua in the end. And so we're going to see that, but it is really something. I, let me just say this. As we move through our verses today, uh, we're going to come to a major point, a major truth. We're going to talk about that. But more than that today, I really just want to paint a picture. I want you to see this picture as it unfolds. Now, we're going to learn from that truth and we're going to take it in, but I think a marvelous thing would happen if we just saw the picture of what happens in our verses today. It, it truly is, I believe, going to be an awesome thing. Now, understand the context. At, at this point, Joshua has led God's people into the promised land. By itself, that is a huge thing. Uh, all those years of struggle, all those years of, of, of slavery, all those years of heartache, the years of, of wandering there in the wilderness, and they have now crossed over the Jordan River and they've crossed into the promised land. Again, just that is an awesome thing. God has delivered his people. God is totally, absolutely faithful. Understand, had God not moved, had God not worked, they would still be back there in Egypt. What an awesome thing. God is faithful. And just the fact that they're now in the promised land, they are home. Uh, if you read the end of, of Joshua chapter five, it says that the manna has now stopped and they're eating of the produce of the land. To me, that's a, that's a pretty tremendous thing. Uh, all those years, the manna that God provided, he, he, he provided their food, but they were going to a land, the Bible says that is flowing with milk and honey. Well, now they're in the land and there's the grain and there's the fruit and there's the milk and the honey and they're eating of the produce of the land. Now, here's the issue and it's going to be the, the, really the duration of the book of Joshua. The land is occupied. Those residents, the, the pagan residents, those that were opposed to God, really the enemies of God were residing there in the promised land. The Jebusites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, there's all these tribes, all of these groups that are living in, that have inhabited the promised land. And that's where we find ourselves today as we move into Joshua chapter 6. Now again, I want you to see the truth that we're going to pull out. But more than that, I want you to watch the picture as it unfolds. Starting in, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. Now Understand, as we, as we start to build the picture here, Jericho is a heavily fortified city. Now, I want to try to explain that to you. This is a city that is built for war. It, it is a city that is built to withstand an attack. Now, not just withstand the attack, but it is a city that is built to prevail in the attack. And so any army that comes... Uh, they're going to find this fortified city and they're not going to prevail against the city. In fact, they're going to be defeated in their attack of the city. This is a city built for war. 
We read about the Great Wall. We're going we're gonna to talk about the wall. There is a great slope, a hill that really approaches the city. At the bottom of that hill, there's a retaining wall, about six feet in height. On the top of that, moving up the hill, very steep incline, there are really two pieces to the wall. There is a wall, then you go up a little bit higher, and there is another wall. The total height from the ground level to the peak of the wall heading into the city was about 46 feet in height. The width of the wall in the two main sections was six feet thick. And so understand, be sure as you see the picture here, this is a city that if you attack the city, you're going to die in the attempt. You're going to be slaughtered in the attempt. And so when you come, here's this imposing fortified city. And when you attack the city, you're going to perish in the attempt. There's watchtowers. There, there's a, a, an army up there with, with arrows and weapons. This is a city built for war. Now, I want you to think about this. This is probably one of the sites that scared the spies away all those years earlier. Remember, they go to the land. They say, yes, it is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, look at the produce of the land. But they said, we can't take the land. There's giants in the land. The, the enemy is too strong in the land. Well, understand this city is probably one of the sites that they saw that, that discouraged their hearts. We can't take this land. This is a city built for war. Now, here's the deal. These in the, in the, in the, in the promised land had heard of, of these people. They had heard of their deliverance from Egypt. It, it, had, it had circled out throughout the land that, that, the, the way the Egyptian army was defeated. They had heard how they entered the land. Remember the, the, the river dries and it stands up and they cross through. And they knew that there was something about the God of these people. Uh, the spies that go a, ahead in, in the previous chapter to go and meet with Rahab the harlot, uh, they, they come back and they give the report, yes, our enemies are in the land, but their hearts have melted before us. What that means is they're fearful. They're scared. They've heard about our God and, and, and they're scared of our God. Now, the, the context is there in that first verse, this city that's built for war is now in lockdown. That means they are in battle mode. Doesn't mean they're, they're shutting the gates and going inside to, to cook supper. They are in battle mode. They are in high alert. Understand the war city is ready for war. Now, one more thing before we move on in the picture that we need to see. I want you to understand the motivation of this city. If they lose, they die. This isn't just, well, there's somebody outside barking at us. There's somebody that wants in the city. They understand in the city that's built for war, if you lose the war, you die. And so that is their motivation. And the city built for war is ready for war. Their motivation is this. If we lose, we die. They're on high alert. That's, that's the setting of the city. Now let's look at verse 2. Verse 1, now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. Verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. Verse 2 is a pretty crazy verse. He, he, he says to Joshua, see, Joshua, it's already over. That, that's, that's insane if I, if, I, if I think about that. You see, Joshua, 
it, it's already over. This king, these valiant warriors, the word valiant, these are fighting men. These, these were the Green Berets. These were the Navy SEALs. These were the Marines. There are valiant warriors. And he says, Joshua, you know what? It's already over. It's already over. I'm giving them into your hand. The king, all these warriors, it is already over. Now, here, here's, here's the part that's, that's pretty interesting. Joshua, it's already over. Can you see that wall? It's already over. A fighting war city, it's already over. And so let me tell you the plan. Now, I, I imagine Joshua's heart is probably, is probably racing. I imagine his brain is wondering, what are we going to do? How are we going to attack this city? And God says, you know, here's the plan. And I, I imagine Joshua leans in to get this plan. Verse 3. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. And in verse three, it says, you shall take the army and you shall march around the city once. And you should repeat that. You should do that for six days. Now, as I'm imagining Joshua here, that, that's a pretty weird thing. You're going to take the army and you're going to march around the city and you're going to do that one time for six days. Now, in, in my logic, I, I think he's probably saying, you know what, maybe we're going to intimidate them. Maybe they're going to see our army and they're going to see it go by and this is going to intimidate them. Or maybe we're marking out our territory and it's, a, it's a, really a threat to them. We're marking out our territory. And I, I wonder, does he start to think, do we need to start building and, and stockpiling piling arrows that we're going to shoot over the wall, flaming arrows, to shoot over the top of this wall. Maybe we need to, to, to make some spears so when we make the final affront on the city, maybe we need to start putting together some ladders so we can climb over these two walls. And, and he says, you know what, you're gonna march around the city. That's kind of weird, but maybe we need to start getting some stuff ready to attack the city. And then the instructions continue in verse four. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priest shall blow the trumpets. Verse four is where this really comes undone. So take the priests and the priests are gonna lead. And I start to think, well, how'd the priests get involved in this? I thought, well, I thought we're taking the army. I thought this was gonna be a great battle. In fact, take the Ark of the Covenant. Wouldn't we rather bring that at the end? Wouldn't we bring that when this is all over? And he says, you know what, for on this seventh day, you're going to make seven laps and you're going to blow these trumpets. It's completely absurd now. Verse five. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all of the people shall get with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. Now, I want you to listen I think sometimes we've, we've read this so many times, we've heard this so many times in the, in the course of our church years that we lose sight of the fact these are real events. I want you to picture this today. These are real events. These are real people. This is gonna be a real battle. That's a real wall that they're looking at. That's not some, some imaginary wall. That's a real wall. They're, they're gonna face a real army, an army that's trained to kill them. And, and, the, and, the, and the instruction is make laps around it, blow horns and give a shout and the wall is going to fall flat and you're going to walk straight in. That's what, that's what God says. Listen, I, I don't care who you are. 
That's insane. I, I don't care who you are. That's a good way to get killed. What, what about finding a weak spot? Maybe that's why we're going around. What about attacking in waves and we'll send one wave and then we'll send another wave. Maybe we should do it at night when we slip up on them. Surely there's got to be more than the plan than this. The plan is to march and to blow these horns and to shout. Historically, actually, literally correct. The most ridiculous plan ever. Most ridiculous plan ever. Verse 6. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, I don't imagine these guys, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests carry the trumpets of, the, the trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Verse 8. And it was so that when, the people had, when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram, ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. Verse nine, the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. Verse 10, but Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor let your voice be heard nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, shout. Then you shall shout, verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. I wonder about that first night. I wonder about the people in Jericho. Wonder what's going on down there. Wonder what this army's up to. I, we saw the army today and they made a lap around. I don't know. I, I, I imagine they're, they're, they're planning their attack and I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what the Israelites are saying in their camp. Well, I'm not sure this makes a lot of sense. Maybe something's good's coming tomorrow. I'm not sure how this is going to pay off. And, and can you imagine the buzz in the two, in the two camps? Verses 13 and 14. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets and the armed men went before them and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days. Now I want you to start to picture this two days. Three days. What are they saying in the, in the camp of the Israelites? Three days. Surely, surely we've got something that's up our sleeve. Surely there's got to be a, a point to this. Four days. And those up there in the city of Jericho as they watch and they give the report down from their watchtower, surely there's got to be some more reinforcements coming. Surely there's going to be something in this. They, they play their horns and they march around. And can you imagine the talk in the two camp? Five days. Six days. Surely there's got to be something more than this. Surely there's something coming. Six days. Verse 15. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times. Verse 16. At the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Jumping down to verse 20. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. 
So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Listen very carefully. Verse 20, the wall fell down. Listen to me. The wall fell down. Verse 21, and they utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. I want you to see this. This this is, I think, sometimes so easy to miss. And I'll just tell you, I've heard more silly things preached on these verses. I've heard more silly messages, dumb messages that have come out of this account. But I I want us to see two things in this account today. Two things for us to to see in in these verses today. The first thing is this, and this is the truth that I was telling you about. First thing is this. Listen very carefully. God requires exact obedience. That that sounds so simple, but I want to tell you, that's that's the message of this account. God requires exact obedience. He was training his people in that. He is showing that to us today. He requires exact obedience. Obedience. And listen, guys, I don't care how crazy it seems. I don't care how illogical it seems. I don't care how counter to the world it seems. If God says do it, you better do it. And if God says you go to the war city and you, and you see the wall and you look it in the eye and you face the great army and you face certain death and you go with horns and trumpets and priests, you better do it. If God says do it, you better do it. Yet today, what has he told us about leading our homes? Oh, if he said rush a wall, I'd do it. If he'd say go around and do this thing, I'd do it. What about what he says about leading your homes? What about what he says about setting your priorities? Oh, if if I could go and, and watch the walls fall down in Jericho, I'd do it. What about what he says an eternal perspective? What about what he says about the language that you use, the words of your mouth? Oh, if I could go and attack a city, I'd do it. What about the things that he's told us? Listen, God requires exact obedience. Here's here's what I think. Today, we have mistaken God's kindness and God's grace and the forgiveness of the cross to tell God, you know what, I'll tell you how it's going to be. You know what, I, I love the forgiveness of the cross of Calvary. I'm saved through it. I'm, I'm so thankful for the kind nature of our God. But I think our generation says, you know what, I'll do what I want to do and I'll do it how I want to do it and I'll come to your grace and you'll have to accept what I tell you. That's not how it works. God requires exact obedience. That's how there's success. Second thing to see is this, and that's the great truth. Second thing is this, and this is really just the picture as it unfolds. And I, I want to tell you, I'm excited to finish this picture. Maybe God brought you here today to be reminded of this. Maybe, maybe you need to be, to be reminded of this. Maybe you need to see this today. And I want you to listen. And I think this is the most tremendous thing of this entire account. And that is this. Listen very carefully. Our God is absolutely awesome. Have we lost that? Have we, have we somehow gotten used to that? Well, I don't know. Listen, our God is absolutely awesome. And, and if you're having a hard time understanding that, if you've become numb to that, I want you to picture this actual historical day. 
I want you to picture how this day ends. It talks about when the sun comes up, they follow those seven priests. But I want you to picture how this day ends. On this day when the sun was setting, as the sun goes down, read the biblical account. The gates of this city are laying down. The walls of this city have fallen flat. The entirety of this city is absolutely destroyed. The valiant warriors are laying dead in the dust. And there is victory. Friend, I want you to know at the end of this day, as the sun goes down, there is no doubt. There is not a shadow of the doubt. There is a God and he is living and he is active and he is powerful. And as the dust settles on this day, they know our God is awesome. Our God is awesome. Listen, I love this. I I, I ate that up. Our God is awesome. But when I read this account... To me, it links very quickly to a different account. And I love this account. Our God is awesome. Listen, he's powerful. They they didn't need to take a ladder up there. The walls fell down. That is our God. He is awesome. Less than 30 miles from this city. It's actually about 25 miles. It's uphill from this site. There would be another city. Not Jericho, Jerusalem. About 25 miles from this hill, 25 miles from this great wall, there will be another hill. And I want to tell you about another day, but this time not when the sun went down, but this time when the sun comes up. And there was another day, and there was another hill, and there was another city, but not this time when the sun comes, when the sun goes down, but when the sun comes up, there was a tomb. And in, the, in this tomb, it's, it had been occupied for three days. The resident of that tomb had been killed. He'd been crucified on a Roman cross. He was dead in that tomb for three days, 25 miles from this actual site. But I want to tell you, listen to me. If you don't think our God is awesome on another day, not as the sun went down, but as the sun came up against all of the odds, against all of logic of mankind, never would happen. Against all of the world's plans, it's not going to happen. Jesus Christ stood as the resurrected Savior of all mankind. And I want to tell you, 25 miles from that tremendous scene, the greatest scene of all human history is there is a living God and he's active and he's powerful and there is victory in Jesus Christ. Men, our God is awesome. He's awesome. What are you going to give your life to? Give it to an awesome Savior. What's your priority set going to be? Give it to an awesome Savior. How are you going to find peace for eternity? Only in an awesome Savior. Our God is awesome. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Glad you're here. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful. I'm thankful that we're not just idiots. We're not just people clinging to a superstition, to a fairy tale, but just as sure as the sun which comes up and goes down, goes down, the walls fell flat. And the hero of that story isn't Joshua. The hero of that story is not seven priests with their horns. The hero of that story is our awesome God. Lord, I'm thankful just on another day that when, as the sun goes down, the sun comes up, it came up on a morning, a Sunday morning, when the tomb that could never be empty, was empty. A Savior that should never breathe again walked out in in resurrection power. And our God is declared as awesome. Lord, I pray we'd be encouraged by that. 
We would be driven by that. We'd be motivated by that. I pray that there'd be men that would be saying, you know what, I'm going to order my life in exact obedience because our God is so awesome. Lord, we come today and say we praise you, we worship you, we thank you, we exalt you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.